I'm Shark Child, and this is The Dark Verse, a collection of my strange works with the sole purpose of sharing with you a unique world of horror and fantasy that will follow you to the visions of your sleep. Become my fan on Facebook. Go to facebook.com sharkchild. Also, make sure you check out my book from the Passages of Remnants, The Dark Verse, Volume 1 at sharkchildsremains.com. There are only a limited amount of these books. They're hardcover, imitation leather with foil stamping, and I am not going to be printing any more first editions. So whatever is out there right now of these first edition hardcover books is all there will ever be in the life of The Dark Verse. So keep that in mind. SharkChildsRemains.com is the site. The story in this episode is probably my most controversial story that I've ever written for the Dark Verse, or written ever, actually. The premise I know is strong, but I hope that I executed it well enough, because I found myself struggling to really get the story out there, which is why it took me an extra day. The story isn't long, I just was worried that I wasn't getting the things out that I needed to get out, but I guess we'll find out soon enough because here it is. This is episode 57 of The Dark Verse, and it is entitled, What the Water Means. On the top of a 32-foot long counter... I lived amongst a population of 243, a civilization wrought by the hands of man in the age of his illustrious prime. Our kind was called humids, life forms birthed from a mixture of DNA and infinitesimal computer processors. Our size was measurably minute, but our appearances were only marginally different than that of our creators. Life essence, and love were ours to behold and share and abuse, and by logic and labor we fought to maintain purpose, although it passed like air through our lungs, coming and going, sustaining, then depleting. We existed for forty-four years and two hundred and sixteen days before our world came to an end. On the morning of our last day, I awoke to the sound of pandemonium. Cries of abhorrence echoed throughout the societal chamber on the top of the counter, as those who became sentient to the noise made their way to the source and discovered the disturbance firsthand. I got out of bed and collected myself. My head throbbed as if the bothersome noise had surrounded me for the entirety of my sleep and dreaming, and only now continued into the reality that it was. When the haze behind my eyes had passed, I awoke my companion and alerted her of the situation. We too then set out to investigate. The top, as our home was called, consisted of three regions, residence, leisure, and work. 
The residence region was made up of housing. The leisure region was made up of a park and a pool. And the work region was made up of a sizable two-story building that spread beyond a third of the top. A network of walkways dissected the regions, linking together the limited facets of our life. These regions and walkways, as a whole, were enclosed within a clear, impenetrable barrier. Everything we owned was given to us by man, including food and clothing. We earned nothing but the right to live. The scene of interest turned out to be a bench in the park on the western side of Leisure. A humid was found slumped in disarray atop the bench, blood still draining from the multiple stab wounds upon her chest. Visually, this image appeared to me as a decoupage of foreign elements, a surreal union of being and art. Emotionally, I understood the severity of the picture, but the two different evaluations and sensations battled amongst one another in a fight over reality. It was the first death of a humid, and the first murder. It was difficult to accept the grotesquerie for what it was. At first, no one knew how to respond, but soon enough the natural ways of our sentiments evolved into those feelings never before felt, grief and loss. We had a system for conflict resolution, but never before had anything escalated to such an extreme outcome. We were not equipped with the knowledge to deal with this type of a situation, and so we were not receptive and understanding. We had no plan for rectification. Above us, man convened and observed. He stood as pillars against the hopes and aspirations that could never be. His gigantic faces loomed in towards us with the utmost of seriousness, loveless and indifferent. Man rarely intervened with our lives, but this day was different. When the initial distress of the murder had subsided, he isolated the area of the incident and removed the victim from the top. The victim's companion thrashed upon the barricade of the extraction unit with his fists until it was removed. He could not believe that his beloved had left him. He could not believe that love had an end. A new emotion scoured his body and mind, unhinging devils that science could not displace. And in this sick place that his mind took him, he turned, in mad frenzy, upon the rest of our population, convinced that he would find the perpetrator of the crime and deal himself the necessary punishment. Because of the severe threat this humid became, he was removed from the top as well. Another first for our infant society. Our people were left dumbfounded. There were no discussions or theories that could bring us to a fitting understanding. We had been exposed to something that crawled inside each one of us and burrowed its malformed head deeply into our thoughts, raping them and tearing them from their innocence begotten of ignorance. A demon had shown its face, and our world could never forget it. Shortly after man had taken care of the scene, all humans were advised to return and remain within their houses until further notice. We obeyed, as we always had. 
Not long after everyone was tucked away, the water began to fall. We had never had rain before, but that was what it was. It fell from the ceiling of the top's barrier, and it fell hard and relentlessly. Our houses were not built to protect us from such things, and so the water began to pool and then flood. The water began to fill the top. Something was wrong, and I knew this. The logic of the rain made no sense. Everything always had a purpose, but the possible purposes of the water were not endearing. I disobeyed man's guidance and brought my companion to work. We ascended the stairwell that led to the roof of the building and ended our journey there upon the highest point in the top. A few other couples followed us. On the roof, we waited. We watched as the water rose and rose. Our clothes were soaked and we shivered in coldness uncontrollably. Together, my companion and I huddled, fighting for the last of comfort. When the water began to fully encapsulate the houses, screams erupted from those who did not exit. They were screams like I had never heard before, screams that radiated fear and terror, screams that told of the darkness behind death. In their frequency of sound, purpose itself, as an entity of resolution, made a commitment to abandon and dissipate before its crooked legacy could be understood. Even the air inside the top conceded its nourishment and released a foul scent. I looked up to see man staring down upon us, unmoved and pitiless. He stared with eyes of elitist grandeur. He stared with eyes of disappointment. If the rain were his tears, it would not have been as torturous. If there had been any tidings that celebrated the life we did live, then maybe some amount of it would have held worth. But there was no connection. There was no sincerity or concern. There was nothing after all of those years important and cherished enough to save. That is what killed me that day even before death had entered my flesh. Those of us still alive swam to the borders of the top and beat upon the barrier, screaming in demand for release. We pleaded with the very last able actions of our bodies for salvation. Man only watched. We screamed for hours until the water pressed us against the ceiling of the top and delivered us to the fate man appointed for us. Forty-four years and two hundred and fifteen days of life, and one irreversible day of death. In my last moments, panic and desperation controlled me. My will for survival was all that existed. I could have seen my beautiful love's face one last time. I could have looked into her eyes and secretly said goodbye. But I was more concerned with breath. I was more concerned with dying than the life I had left. But the guilt was not mine to bear, for why create if only to destroy? It was not our failure that condemned us. That concludes episode 57 of The Dark verse go to the darkverse.com to download all of the past episodes you can also get them on itunes if you have some time and are willing 
I'd appreciate it if you gave the dark verse a rating on iTunes. You'll find the stars on the lower left hand side of the screen underneath the description. Uh, all you need to do is click how many stars you believe the dark verse deserves. Excellent. Now go enjoy the holiday spirits. All stories on the dark verse are the sole property of Sharkchild and cannot be used for distribution, publication, or monetary gain without my written consent. Sleep deeply and remember to love. Mm-hmm.